Okay, before I get in the Word, I just want to recognize uh, how important it is to pray. Today we've got some things happening on the mall at Lafayette Square. Lafayette Square, is, if, if, you, if you're driving to D.C. as a commute, you know where it, where it is, and, and, and it's right there in front of the White House. Today, uh, white nationalists will be gathering at Lafayette Square, and there will be some counter-protesters, um, and it, it sh- should, should prove to be an exciting event. That's, that's everybody's uh, hope on either side, that they make a bigger point than the other person. Um, knowing that uh, knowing what happened in Charlottesville last year and, and realizing that uh, I don't agree with the white nationalists in any way. Um, and I am very passionate about making sure that my nation is cared for in, in a way that I think advances the kingdom. Yesterday I had the privilege of participating with a group of people that prayed at Lafayette Square. Oh, we brought heaven down. It was great. Didn't, didn't have 150 people, only had about 28. But I mean, we were praying, calling God to do something great, to help by way of protection so that nobody gets hurt today. To bring peace where those who are planning violence would want to plan and see their plans succeed, that God would do something to thwart that. Asking for not only just the cessation of violence, but Lord, bring your spirit surprise everybody there with something that's unusual. Open their eyes that they might see things. Open their ears that they might hear things. Let those who are protesting in opposition come out of a different spirit. No anger, no bitterness, but conciliatory. Jesus talked about how important it was for us to love our enemies. Please, do what you can to be an excellent citizen in our society. Vote, Let your free speech be heard. All those things are super important, but please, in the process of doing that, don't forget that the most powerful tool you've got as a believer is your mouth when it talks to God. Unbelievers can't, they can't invoke the presence of God in their reality. They can't, so they've got to use the strength of their own might in order to bring about their will. But we Christians have a privilege of doing something beyond our own might. And bringing God into the reality of circumstances that seem impossible. And if you have lived in faith long enough, and sometimes just by mercy, you haven't done anything. If you've lived long enough with God, whether it be by his mercy or in combination with your faith, you have seen him do stuff that you could not do. You've watched him perform outside of all that you knew was was possible according to human uh, 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 strength and might and wisdom. He's done stuff, and he wants to do that for his people in this country. And so we prayed, and our prayers were heard, and you felt the presence of God come in that place. Folks were walking by. We were out there, oh, God, some of my friends, Lord, we just asked for your presence to fall on them. I mean, they were loud. (laughs) And I was watching people walk by. They're going, hmm. Unashamed, we were talking to God. And so I want to end this moment with an under- letting you understand that our voice makes a difference when we talk to God. And it's not just Christian's voice in terms of the, the, the broad brush idea of what it means to be a believer. 
But I'm talking about your voice as a part of this church in particular. Why? Because when we pray about unity with respect to ethnic diversity, we don't pray just because it's theologically correct. We pray because we live it. Do you know how much more power it has when people who are asking God for something that, that not only is theologically correct, but they are experiencing? Do you know how much conviction rises out of a person's soul? You look at the people in the Bible who got their prayers answered, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, other people cried out to God, but these folks were living it. God does something for the people who cry out to him on the basis of their witness. And because we build like this, and I can't build any other way, though I might want to, I can't. God won't let me build any way except with diversity. And it's hard, it's slow. You got cross currents of culture bumping into one another all the time. But better this because we can say something to Lafayette Square. Better this for us than going the other direction. It doesn't mean that we are any better than any other congregation, but this is better for us. And as a result, we have a unique voice. We have a unique voice when we talk to people and we talk to God. Thus, I needed to talk to him yesterday in Lafayette Square. Would he have heard me in Chantilly? Yep. But when my feet were placed on that property, something else was done in the spirit. I have a sermon to preach. God, I'm asking for your grace that you would give peace. God, I love my country. And I love your kingdom more. Do something today. Do something today. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I don't have a lot of time. Turn over to Hebrews 11. Okay, don't clap in anything I say today. Faith to move forward. We're going to talk about Moses today. Moses' decision-making. Moses' decision-making. Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 29. Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 29. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather or, uh, than to enjoy the, the, the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ of greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking toward the reward. 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. And by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea, verse 29, as though they were passing through on dry ground. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Lord, help us as we study. Two things on this passage about which I'd like to talk to you. One, what it means to grow up. Secondly, what it means to grow into. Moses had to grow up. Oh, he had a confused background. He was the son of a, a Jewish couple named Jacobed and Amram, born um, while the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And it was a hard time for the people of Israel. Pharaoh made it doubly hard because the Israelites were 
were multiplying. They were prolific in their ability to replicate themselves. And the Egyptians were very intimidated. And they said, listen, these people are going to outnumber us in a minute. Then they're going to try to take us over. So we, gotta make, we, have, we have to bring some population control measures into play. And they decided to go ahead and, and kill all the male babies that were born. Oh, horrible decision. Horrible. You can't ever find yourself in a place of decency when you're treating children bad. And, and that's, that's out of the womb or in the womb. Either way. And those who have found themselves trying to navigate a difficult decision of pregnancy and made a mistake in ending it, there's mercy for you. There is mercy. We love you. We want to help you through it. I know it's hard, but it's nonetheless wrong. Either way it goes, God always defends the defenseless. Always. And anybody who wants to be on his side works with him in that. The, the Egyptian midwives who helped the Hebrew women give birth were given the command. If it's a boy, when it comes out, you tell the soldiers and they will kill him. The Egyptian midwives, it says, they, they feared God. They wouldn't do it. Out comes Moses, baby boy. Jochebed is so happy, but she realizes, you've been born at the wrong time, boy. Oh, oh, that I wish you were a girl. For three months, she hit him. But you can't hide a crying baby long. Somebody's going to hear, and they're going to say, which one is it, a boy or a girl? And somebody's going to tell. So after three months, she made a basket, put pitch around it to make it watertight, put the baby in the basket, placed the basket with the baby in the Nile, and just trusted God. Now, let me take all the religious garb off this story for a minute. Mamas, do you remember the, f the first day you had to go back to work after you gave birth? H how much you cried on the way to the car, in rush hour, at lunchtime, because you dropped your baby off at daycare, feeling like, I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. Now, we guys don't feel that at all. In fact, we happy to get out the house. These people driving me nuts. I've never cried once when I left, ever, 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 ever. But mamas are different. They are just different. It's not that dads don't miss them. We do. But they're just thinking, I'm being neglected. They struggle so much with not being there all the time. Think about Jacobet. Jock I don't know. I don't, I don't know what else to put my baby in. There are alligators in there. There are snakes. It's the only thing I know to do. God care for my boy. She placed that baby, floated down, and then she watched Miriam, older sister, 12 years old, watched that basket go, kind of followed it down, and it floated toward Pharaoh's house. And Mama and Jacobet are thinking, wrong house so wrong. wrong that's the guy who made the rule wrong house oh god no I really made a mistake now I killed my baby Pharaoh's daughter was taking a bath sees this basket floating down and hears this and she what in the world goes and gets the Baby in the back. Who would? And she has mercy. 
and brings a child and makes her, him a part of her household. Hmm. Jacobus thinking, okay, that worked. Thank you, Lord. Miriam, who's following the baby, realizes that Moses needs to be fed. He's missed a meal. She says, ma'am, um, if you need one of the Hebrew, Hebrew wives, mothers, to, to, to nurse a baby, I can help with that. Pharaoh's daughter said, wonderful. Here, you take the baby. Go bring her to a mother who can nurse, and we will pay her. So Miriam takes Moses back home Amen. with a check. <laughs> Doesn't get any better. Doesn't get any. I mean, mamas, when you pray, when you trust God, it might not look good. It might look like your babies are going in the wrong direction, winding up in the wrong spot. You keep praying, and God's going to do something because you talk to him. Moses was nursed by mama, Hebrew, had Hebrew blood flowing through his veins, genetically Hebrew, but now he was growing up culturally Egyptian, a man of privilege while his people were suffering in slavery. Tension, dissonance in his soul. He didn't know what to do with this. It doesn't seem right. People like me, they don't have the privilege. I, it's maybe, is there something, Lord, you have? I don't know. I, am I here for a reason? Maybe. Gosh. One day he walks out to go look at how his people are doing. He's 40 now. It's been 40 years of struggle. And he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating up on a Hebrew slave. And he looks around to see if anybody's looking. And then he kills the taskmaster, buries him in the sand, thinking he had done something really, really good. He goes on back home. A couple of days later, he's out looking over his people again. And he sees two, two Hebrews fighting. He says, y'all stop your brothers. Don't do that. They look at him and say, oh, you're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? He realized he had made no friends when he did it, though he thought he should have. The, the Israelites were not going to overlook 40 years of hypocrisy for one valiant act. Dude, you have been there in that big house, living like a king because you are a prince. You're a son. You've been adopted. And we've been struggling out here for 40 years, and you think a couple of visits along with one deliverance is going to wipe away all of your hypocrisy? Dude, we don't trust you. You're only doing this because you want to strum the, soul, the, the, the strings of significance in your own soul. You're not really trying to help us. He gained no favor with the, with the Israelites. And now the Egyptians have heard that Moses killed one of the taskmasters. And he knows, I have no refuge anyplace. They're going to get me in Egypt. The Israelites don't receive me. I got to go. He runs. And he's running directionless. He just knows he has to leave home. And he winds up at a well. And <clears throat> at this well, it's, it's a place where all the shepherds would come to water their sheep at the same time and remove the stone to block the well. Uh, at one time so they didn't have to be moved consecutively all day long. So everybody knew when it was time. As he's at the well, some shepherdesses come, females, with their sheep to water. At the same time, some other shepherds come, males, to water their sheep. And they start treating the females poorly, abusing them, pushing them aside. Moses sees this injustice. He begins to act on their behalf and dispatches of the men 
very courageous. And the, the females look at him and say, mm, thank you. <laughs> they were so grateful that, that, that they brought him home. They said, Daddy, he helped us. Moses winds up marrying one of them. And the family into which he married, <laughs> I mean, the story of Moses is amazing. He went to a, he wound up, these shepherdesses were from the tribe of Midian, a people group, a nation called Midian. And Midian happened to be one of the sons of Abraham. Abraham had two boys by two different women in his earlier life. Not early, but earlier life. He was married to Sarah, and then he had a, a child by Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. That child was named Ishmael. The child that he had by Sarah was named Isaac. Those two had grown up and now, for the most part, gone. At least were on their own path of maturity. After Sarah died, he married again a woman named Keturah, and she had many sons. One of them was named Midian. There was no law at the time. Moses would create that after he delivered the people of Israel and was on the mountain with God. God gave him the commands. There was no Levite group to do priesthood. Didn't exist yet. So everybody was just trying to figure out how to worship God as best they knew. Moses runs into a tribe that happened to have as its ancestor his ancestor. So these are cousins. And it turns out that he married a PK. That's short for preacher's kid. Her daddy was the priest of all of Midian. He was their pope. Funny how God, out of all the people groups on the earth, and of all the groups in that particular people group, all the families, God sends Moses directly to a pastor. Because he knows he's called. Moses winds up in this man's house for 40 years. His name is Jethro. He's a very wise man. He counseled Moses on how to do government once Moses brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. He was very, very wise. A good man to be nurtured under when you have a call. Moses is out caring for the sheep one day, and he's on the mountain, and he sees his bush. It's burning, but there's no smoke coming from it. It's not being consumed. He's sitting there looking at it, and says, that's strange. That's weird. He walks up to the bush. And the bush starts talking to him. Oh. Moses, a place where you stand is holy ground, take off your shoes. And then there's a dialogue, and God is speaking to him about delivering the people of Israel from Egypt. And he's the guy that's supposed to do it. Moses argues with God to such a degree that God, it says of God, that the anger of the Lord burned at Moses. Moses didn't want to change jobs. He was on the way to retirement. He didn't want to go back, surely, to Egypt, because even though... His adopted father was now passed. One of his siblings, adopted siblings, was now ruling. And he didn't want to face all that. Plus, a people that didn't like him when he left, he was supposed to now be in support of and, and somehow gain their confidence. And they didn't like him when he left. Oh, no, Lord, I like it here. I don't want to do this. God finally convinces him. And he goes. Now, that's the backdrop to this moment where the writer says he grew up choosing not to enjoy the pleasures and the privileges that the world had for him in Egypt, but decided he would identify with the people of God. 
even their ill treatment. The growing up process is that which allows you to first say, I'm not going to enjoy the pleasures that are afforded me by way of permission in the world. I'm not going to do it. I choose to say no. And I choose to identify with the things of God. I choose to identify with Jesus and what he did for me. I choose to identify with the people of God, though the people of God are really flawed, really messed up. And by the way, though we look at everybody else as being those people who are messed up, remember, you are those people to somebody else. He says he chose to identify with those who were being ill-treated rather than to enjoy his lush and lavish lifestyle in the palace. There are a lot of ministers. When people find out that I'm a minister, they automatically put me in this category. I don't mind. Oh, you're like one of them? What, what do you think about this guy? Huh. And, and I already know what they think. But they're asking me what I think. And I say, well, he was a man who really tried to do right and, and couldn't do it. He tried. He really tried, and he couldn't do it. So I'm disappointed that he couldn't because he was required to. But I still identify with him as my brother. Everybody wants to distance themselves from failure because it would reflect poorly on you. But listen to me. If you are right with God, the way you got right is that Jesus was not ashamed to identify with you in your mess. He died a criminal's death. A criminal's death. And the things he could have said on the cross, all of us probably would have said. Hey, if y'all are recording this, I just want you to know I didn't do it. All y'all messed up, and I love you, and I'm dying here for you, but I didn't do it. I'm clean. I'm innocent. None of that came out of his mouth. He was willing to fully identify with us because he knew that the only way for us to get right is if we could fully identify with him. And so he became sin on our behalf that we might become his righteousness. He died so that we might live. He suffered so that we didn't have to. I beg you, one of the greatest privileges of your life will be the inconvenience of identifying with someone you wish you didn't have to. Moses said, I, I choose to identify with the people who are being ill-treated rather than the reputation that I had in the palace. He gave up everything. That's the start of being a really good Christian, that at some point you say, I'm his. I take on his name. I'm not going to follow my path. I'm going to follow his. Secondly, it says he grew into something. First of all, he decided now that I'm going to identify with these people, I'm going to leave. I can't stay in Egypt. I can't stay in the world. It's not just that I'm, I'm not agreeing with it. I choose not to, to, to be a part of its system. Now, when I say stay in the world, I'm not talking about leaving the planet. I'm talking about leaving the system that runs the planet and becoming a, a, a new citizen, a citizen of the kingdom, so that you now function by different mores and different systems. You no longer identify with that other, and you've chosen to leave it. You don't live in two worlds. You can't live in the world of Friday Night Club. 
and then say, well, I got my church on Sunday, so all I need to do is ask for forgiveness. I'll be straight. I'll be straight. God always forgives. You can't live in the world and in the church. You got to choose. It says he left Egypt. But in leaving, it says he did something on the way out. It says he kept something. Now, he didn't keep anything from the world, but he did keep that which allowed him to exit well. It says he kept the Passover. Now, the Passover was that which was a, a, a meal instituted to remember how God ultimately delivered the Israelites from the land of Egypt. There were ten plagues, the tenth of which being the Passover, or the, 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 the plague of the firstborn that died in the Passover was that which allowed the Israelites to live when that plague came to Egypt. The other nine plagues required nothing of the Israelites to do. Nothing. God just did it. Flies, grasshoppers, darkness, boils, all the other things, God, water turning to blood, all the other things God just did. The Israelites watched. And it was bad on this side of the street and good on that side of the street. Stunning. This one required effort. God said, I'm going to do this last one, but I want you to participate with me in it. I want you to take a lamb, kill it, and take the blood and put it on the doorpost, and then share a meal together. And this meal you will keep in memoriam for all of time as a, as a remembrance of how I delivered you from the land of bondage. When the last plague came, which was the death of the firstborn in the land, everybody who didn't have the blood, this didn't have anything to do with their genetics had nothing to do with how they were born. It only had to do with whether the blood was on your life. That's it. Everybody who didn't have the blood suffered the, the curse. He kept that. He didn't let that go. And you need to keep some stuff. You need to hold on to some stuff. When temptation and difficulty comes your way, there's something you need to hold on to lest you be swept away by the tide of sin. You need to hold on to something. And New Testament for us, Passover, is Christ and what he did on the cross. We need to hold on to that. And it's not just hold on to it by way of saying, at least I'm saved now. I get to go to heaven. Wonderful. Death has passed me by. I'm grateful that you have eternal life. But every day you need to hold on to it so that you understand that you're supposed to live here well as a result of holding on to that. That when he died, sin and the power of it died with him. That we don't have to do wrong anymore. We are not slaves of sin. He became sin for us that we might be righteousness and we might do righteousness. That we are changed on the inside, and as a result of being changed here, we can do right out here. Not only that, he rose as a result of dying. So on two levels, we have great, great ability and competency. One says, because he died for my sin and took the power of it away, I no longer have to do wrong, so I can say no to it when it comes. Secondly, I have the power to do right because he rose and now lives in me and equips me to, to live the life that I should. That's how you hold on. You hold to it like that, not just as your security blanket for, for glory, but as that which equips you every day to be the best Christian you can be. Somebody who is not 
somebody who doesn't have any dissonance between what they believe and what they do. No distance either. Same. So that you are not described as a hypocrite. He kept something. Now, lastly, as a result of deciding to, to reject the, the privileges of Egypt, endure the ill treatment with the people of God, leave Egypt, then he kept the Passover. It, it, <laughs> the next passage changes pronouns without any warning. It goes from he to they. It says that they went through the Red Sea as through dry ground. And when Egypt tried, they died. When you live really well, I mean really well, and I would, I would debate with anybody that the best way to live is found in the Bible and nothing else competes with it. Nothing, not even close. Somebody who lives according to the principles that are found in Scripture, all of them, as best they know how, is the best version of human on the planet. They serve humanity. They sacrifice themselves for the benefit of others. They go through trials and difficulty with smiles on their face. They don't complain. They look at their difficulty as that which it, they are privileged uh, through which to go because they get to suffer with Christ. Every day they're rising, trying to figure out how their lives can serve humanity. They love, they serve, they're kind, they're more patient. Best version of human ever. The problem is, we don't have many people that do it. When he came out, he became they. And when you start living the way you should, people no longer level accusations of hypocrisy and suck their teeth when they think about you. Now it's, could you help me please? I don't have kids like yours. I don't have a marriage like yours. I don't have, I, my finances are a wreck. I, my life, you seem to have a lot that's going, please help me. You live right, you will have folks trying to figure out where you live. Can you get with me, please? He becomes we. You become they. You become people. Now, I, I, I hate to use myself as an example here because I'm pastoring a church, and the whole point of pastoring a church is to pastor people. And so you're, you're hoping to present yourself in such a way as if more people will want to come so you can do your job well. But I never thought that I would be they. That somebody would ever really want to listen to what I had to have say in a long, long term. They, they might lo love one sermon, but then never come back. I, I never thought this. I never, 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 never. But I kept living right. At least as right as I could. I need mercy every day. I'm not that good. I'm not that good. I know what I'm not. But I wake up every day realizing how messed up I am, and it makes me fall on his grace and say, help. I need more assistance today than I did yesterday. And as a result of doing that regularly, some people confuse me as being consistent. <laughs> and as a result of my consistency that they see and the flaws they don't, they want to follow. And now Brett has become grace. Are you listening? If you live right, you will become a they. Amen. And you will help the they 
passed through stuff that is impossible. They went through the Red Sea as through dry ground. As I close, seas are seas because they have a lot of water. I don't mean to insult your intelligence. But when you've got 70 meters of water minimally that needs to be displaced, water has weight. And, and the, 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 the ground, the, the terra firma underneath the water is usually per 30 meters, 10 meters wet deep. Mud. What the writer's trying to say is it wasn't just the water that you saw that went away. It was the water you didn't. They went through on dry ground. Can you imagine two million people and their animals walking through the same spot and not getting, not getting caught? So amazing was this miracle. Such that everybody got to experience it together. The individual thing that happened when they got saved, meaning when they came out of Egypt, was that which allowed blood to be put on individual houses. It's not like they all came into one major building, at the Colosseum of, of Egypt, and then blood was put on the door, and then everybody got saved. It was an individual miracle that had corporate impact. Every individual house got saved, but because every individual house was connected through family, they all got saved. They all got the same message. Great. This was the first miracle through which they all got to experience it together and, and feel like we are coming through this as a nation together. We're get to, getting to experience this together. We're walking through a, a sea on dry ground. Wow! And then when they get on the other side, the sea is still open. They're thinking, well, what's that for? Well, Egypt had come after them. This is why God had to open up the Red Sea. Moses had been led by God to camp at the Red Sea, a securitous route, not the direct route to which they were, they were, they were trying to use to get to the promise. This was different. And, and, and Egypt tried to come back and get them. And, and everybody was looking at Moses saying, you are a fool of a leader. How, why would you lead us to a box canyon like this? We got 600 chariots that are coming after us. Tanks. That's what chariots were. That was their version of tanks. Coming after us. What kind of leader leads a two million people to a box canyon? You got water behind us, hills on the other side. And, and Egypt, you're terrible. We are getting a new leader right now. We're going back and we're going to vote. You're out. You're not even on the ballot. We're finding somebody else. And we're going to go back to Egypt. That's what they said. And Moses cried out to God. He lifted up his staff. And the sea parted. And they went through. There was a pillar of cloud that separated the Egyptians from the Israelites as they went through. So they couldn't get to them. The Red Sea stayed open. The pillar of cloud left as soon as the last foot of the last Israelite stepped on dry ground on the other side. The Egyptians saw the Red Sea open. They said, let's go get it, boys. And the, the, the Israelites were sitting there saying, well, here they come. Uh-oh. Oh, should we run? Should we run now? How, how far should, should we? Here they come. And, and God waited till the last Egyptian got in, closed it all up. Now, why did he do this? They were already free. They were already free. But the Red Sea allowed them to know how free they were. Never again will you ever have to worry about Egypt. God gives you confirmation. 
And the beauty is this. When you, when you live life well, when you live by faith every day, becoming that which you didn't know you needed to become and watching God do miracles, all of a sudden you get the privilege of having people that are behind you and you get to lead them through an experience that allows them to know and, 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 and feel what salvation looks like here as a confirmation. One miracle after another, after another, after another, after another. This is the life of faith. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace. Please empower us to live the way we should. We honor you for the privilege of being able to do this thing. Thank you for saving us. Anybody this afternoon who's yet to give their heart to Christ? Anybody at all? Boy, today's a great day. Maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be. You want to get right with God today? Raise your hand high. I want to pray for you. Anybody at all? I see that hand. Bless you. See that hand, bless you. Once it's up, you can put it down. Anybody else? All right, you who raised your hands, pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.